Good morning, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Great, great. So we know that 2014 is an election year. This is where we're gonna have midterm, what we call midterm elections this year. And oftentimes when you talk about midterm elections, you hear that, well, they're not that important. Uh, people aren't really that engaged because there isn't a presidential candidate on the top of the ticket. And you know, they don't really matter. But the truth is, is that you know, midterm elections actually do play an important role. They have both immediate and long-term effects. Um, for example, 1994, 2006, and 2010 were all midterm elections that drastically changed the political landscape in this country. And as a result of those changes, we are actually seeing some of the effects of some of the policies that, are, that were passed to this day and are impacting our lives. So I'm sure many of you all have heard the term, all politics is local, right? It's probably one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most overused political quotes. But the reason why it's used is because it's true. Politics is local. Now, I used to work for two members of Congress, and before they passed, before they would make a vote, they would kind of see, they want to know what this organization back at home feels, how the farmers feel in this particular issue. All politics are local, even in Washington, D.C. So that's the reason why candidates, you know, they shape their campaign platforms based on the local priorities of the community. If they are fortunate enough to be elected into a higher office, those platforms then shape their legislative agenda, which in turn impacts national policy. So I like to call elections as kind of like what we call marching orders. It's their constituents telling that member of Congress, when you go to D.C., you better vote on this issue and vote on this issue. So the reality is elections do have consequences. You know, the 2010 elections, for example, you know, those elections created probably the most conservative U.S. House of Representatives to this date. Now, as a result of that, we have seen unprecedented threats to low-income programs over the years, since 2011, I would say. We have seen proposals that would have kicked millions of people off of SNAP or food stamps. We have seen cross-the-board cuts to domestic and international programs that directly impact poverty and hunger around the world in the U.S. We've seen proposals that would have, that will cut programs, uh, cut funding for WIC programs, and et cetera. So elections do matter. Now let's fast forward to 2014, and let's talk about the upcoming elections that that are going to happen nationwide. Now I think we all can agree that probably the biggest issue that's going to take everybody's attention, at least on the campaign trail, will be Obamacare. Mm -hmm. You're going to have those who support it, who are going to say Obamacare needs to keep going and move forward. You're going to have those who are opposed to it who are going to say we need to repeal the law altogether. Regardless of where you are on this issue, one could say that Obamacare is going to pretty much suck up all the air in the room. But the reality is, is that it's not the only issue that needs to be addressed in Congress. Hunger needs to be addressed in Congress as well. And the reason why is because worldwide, over 840 million people suffer from hunger. In the U.S. alone, 49 million people are at risk of, of falling into hunger in the U.S. So ending hunger needs to be a national priority. But it can't be a national priority based on charities alone. Charities and churches can't do it all. The federal government has to play a role. The federal government need, needs to make ending hunger a national priority. And the only way it can do that is by creating the political will to do so. Now, we at Bread for the World, we actually believe you can end hunger within our lifetime. We actually have a goal of ending hunger by 2030. 
And we can do it in four, four ways. One, creating jobs and building a strong economy. Two, having strong safety net programs like WIG, SNAP, and others. Three, an investment in human capital, meaning having higher minimum wage and, and livable wage and fairness. Four, there has to be a local and federal partnership in addressing hunger in the U.S. and around the world. Now, if you can achieve these goals, you can actually end hunger within our lifetime. But again, and it can only be done with, if there's the political will to do so. Now, you know, setting a goal to end hunger isn't, or setting a goal in general isn't a brand new phenomenon. If you recall, in the, in the 1960s, President Johnson actually set a goal, a commitment to, to address poverty in the U.S. And because of his, his framework, Congress reacted and passed laws. And as a result of that, we was actually able to cut poverty in half over the years. So setting a goal to end hunger by 2030 isn't a, isn't a failed dream. It actually is achievable, again, if we have the political will to do so. But the only way we can create that political will is if we start raising awareness in this election. And the reason why this election is important is because in 2017, there'll be a new administration coming into play. There'll be a new Congress. It may be, just the political dynamics may be the same. It may be more conservative, it may not. But either way, new players will be in play. And so we have to engage Congress now. We have to engage Congress in this election to make ending hunger a national priority. If we can do that, and if we, if we can achieve that, and if we can have by 2017 a president who will, in his or her inaugural address, say, I want to set a goal to end hunger in the U.S. and abroad, then we can achieve that 2030 goal. So how do we get involved? We have to, and the only way to do that is that we have to raise our voices. We have to make our voices heard in this election. And you can do it in a number of ways. There will be a number of town hall events and campaign-related events throughout the country and then in our local communities. Again, remember, politics is local. So it's up to us to attend those meetings. And it's up to us to ask questions and ask members of Congress or ask candidates, what's your, what's your plan to end hunger in the U.S.? There are 49 million people in, in this country going hungry. 15.9 million of those people are kids. So what's your plan to end hunger in the U.S.? They have to answer those questions. You ask them, if you go to D.C., how are you going to lay out a federal agenda to end hunger by 2030? And more importantly, we have to support candidates who resonate with us on those ideals, regardless of political party. Ending hunger is not a partisan issue. It's actually an issue that, at one point, both Republicans and Democrats used to support. Mm -hmm. So we have to show them that our constituency, whether I'm a conservative or a liberal, I am committed to ending hunger, and it's done, through, it's done so through my faith. We, may, we, we lay those, those, what we call our own marching orders out, and as one voice, if we can speak in one accord, the members of Congress, when they get elected, when they go to D.C., are, are forced to respond because we will hold them accountable to those actions. So I hope to work with you all, each and every one of you, in writing letters to your members of Congress, writing letters to your, in your local newspapers, getting engaged in your local communities, and advocating on this issue. I hope to work with each of you all to help this goal achievable, to make this goal achievable. So to kind of help gin this up a little bit, I want you guys to turn to your neighbor. As, as Larry is saying, I'm, a, I'm from an AME church, and we tend to talk to each other in, in audience. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, neighbor, come on. I, I want you to say, neighbor, I'm committed to ending hunger by 2030. I'm committed to ending hunger by 2030.
Now, I want you to turn to the neighbor on the other side and say, neighbor, I'm committed to ending hunger by 2030. And I'm urging you to walk with me in making this happen. Thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity. You know, Eric talked about uh, kind of four key items that Bread for the World has identified as the agenda for moving toward ending hunger. One of the resources that you got when you came in is an executive summary of the 2014 hunger report that Bread for the World Institute puts out uh, annually. And in that, you will see a little bit more background on those four items that, that Eric kind of went through quickly. And the other part is I have the whole hunger report out there on, on the resource table, so make sure you take advantage of that if you'd like to. The other thing, Eric, you mentioned about the elections. Uh, in terms of Bread for the World, what are the things we can and cannot do with respect to partisan elections? Can you outline that for us just quickly? Well, from a Bread for the World perspective, we, we do not endorse candidates. We are really, what we want to do is raise the issue of hunger within the campaign. Ideally, you want both sides to really talk about how they want to address hunger and poverty and around the world. Again, there are going to be a number of issues that's going to take up the majority of attention, so it's really up to us to raise that issue up. We're going to have to be that squeaky wheel in order to get that oil. So again, from Brett's perspective, we don't endorse candidates, and we don't urge folks to endorse candidates, but we do urge you to support candidates that support your ideas on how we can end hunger. Okay, we have our first quick back talk. Um, I really like that you emphasized that this is a really time-sensitive issue and that in order to end hunger by 2013, we have to start acting like this election cycle. And I think that's something we maybe tend to lose sight of, that this is an issue that really affects people every day that we don't do something and something that politicians often put on the back burner. So um, that's kind of my takeaway. Thank you. One of the things that you said was that private organizations, food banks, charities can't do this alone. Um, what do you say to a candidate who says, that's what I believe we should be doing, that I believe we should be doing this through private charity, that it's not a governmental function or it's not a federal government function? What I would say is, is that when it comes to federal, when it comes to our federal nutrition programs, the, the federal government, and when it comes to our nutrition programs altogether, resources going towards it, the federal government actually puts, I believe, 90, like 23 times as much as uh, a food bank or a charity. If all the churches and charities in the world, I mean, in the world, in the country, were to make up the difference that the federal government provides in funding, it would take every church and, and every charity in this country to raise an additional $50,000 per year for the next 10 years to make the difference. Now, I don't know about your church, but it takes 10 years for my church to raise $50,000, period. And so the federal government has to play a role. And we've always played a role. And, 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 and history will tell you, all the different, you know, this is not the first time that we've talked about deficits and budget cutting, et cetera. But history will tell you, from far back as when Ronald Reagan was president, programs like Medicaid, programs like SNAP, programs that help lift people out of hunger and poverty were always off the table. And there was a reason why. It's because there was a fundamental belief that we should still have a responsibility to make sure that those who are in need have the resources available. So that's what I would pitch to them. 
obviously, you know, members that they 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 may agree with you, may not. But that's why it's important to really start making the noise back at home because that's really what they're responding to. I appreciate what you said about congressional representatives. I would expand on that by saying not just Congress, but also our local state representatives, state senators. We have a governor coming up in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. this year. Uh, all politics is local. And frankly, people get to Congress by first serving in these other positions. So you've got to get to them before they get into power and into that kind of power. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, from Brent's perspective, our primary focus is always the federal world, but you're right. This it, it is really, any grassroots movement comes from comes from the street up above. So it, it really all resonates. If you start making that noise and all these different political functions, you want to garner the attention of all your representatives. There was a question in the back. So I believe, yeah. So I believe the question is that, you know, in writing and communicating to members of Congress, are emails and petitions ignored? I mean, we believe, and I think there's research that tell you that writing personal letters are more effective, and personal phone calls are the most effective way to engaging a member of Congress. Um, Obviously, there are groups that do petitions. We've done certain petitions in the past, but you know, we the the best way to really engage with your your left your your representatives is that one-on-one -on -one conversation. If you can get in front of them, meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, either here or back in DC or in DC, or writing letters, doing phone calls, even emails are, are are good because now emails are registered as 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 a as a way of a letter. Particularly if you make it a very personal email, and if you know the right staffer, and you can really direct to that people but you know I, I would say forms of communication are important across the board and you want to do it which works best for your own personal level um, but definitely writing letters is probably still to this day the most effective way of doing it perfect thank you so on June 10th Bradford World, actually June 9th and June 10th, Bradford World, we're going to be celebrating our 40th anniversary, and we're going to have our national gathering, where we're going to have hopefully 300, 300 to 500 folks in Washington, D.C. that weekend. On, on June 10th, I believe it's Tuesday, we're going to have our, our national lobby day, where we're actually going to have folks come sit with their members of Congress, sit with important staff, and talk to them about these specific issues. And so it's a very important time. I mean, if you guys are, 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 are available, I would love for you guys to come. Um, it's going to be a celebration. And you get a chance to really speak on issues that are important. In, in response to the woman's question about how we convince the, the federal government that this is a federal issue and not just a, a government issue, not just charity, Nutrition is the foundation of everything else that happens to a human being. So isn't it important that we let our legislators know if you want a healthy, well-educated country 25 or 30 years from now, you need to be building a good nutritional base now, which means children need to be fed well-nourished now. Pregnant mothers need to be nourished well. The children need to be taught how to eat well so that when they are adults, they are also eating well. If the nutrition 
in our country continues to deteriorate, the quality of the people and of their lives is going to deteriorate. That's part of our government's responsibility is to provide for a healthy lives for our people. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, hunger has far-reaching implications. It impacts health, it impacts education, it impacts the ability for a person to be able to really receive a livable wage. So hunger, hunger has far-reaching um, effects. So you're absolutely right. This is out there. Do you feel, uh, it, it's hard to believe that 200 and some members of, of a, a group are in unison in, in, in their belief that not everybody needs a hand up, we don't need this assistance. Is it all rhetoric? Or are they following a script? What, what are your thoughts about, um, about that? I mean, it's, it, it, there are probably those who fundamentally do believe that. But the thing is, is that, the, and, and I'll tell you this from my experience working on, for members of Congress, they're going to react to what their constituents feel. The reason why you have members who are very, don't have a problem speaking out and talking about um, fraud and waste, fraud, abuse, and food stamps, but they're not talking about the waste, fraud, and abuse in DOD, is because they feel that their constituents agree with them in that way. So, you know, again, it goes back to that being that noise, being being that 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 that, that rattle rouser and say that. This is an issue that's important to us. I mean, and it's not again, it's not a partisan issue. Some of our some of our strongest champions have been Republicans, both in this current Congress and in the past. The problem is now is that some of them are retiring mainly because they have been viewed as being too moderate on these issues now, and it's not it's no longer a political win for them. And so, rather than trying to go further to the right, they just decide to retire. Our goal is to make sure that they understand that they have support back at home, and so that's why it's really important to really get engaged locally. Eric, can I uh, ask you, are there things that Senator Toomey, one of the senators from here in Pennsylvania, has done that you would classify as things that have been helpful to Bread for the World? <laughs> well, <laughs> so in the past, and when he first came to the Senate, I'll say, um, we spoke to him on about foreign assistance. This is taking us to a foreign world, but this could be a relevant story. In the past, he was voting to cut foreign aid. He was voting with Rand Paul to cut foreign aid and just cross the board without really necessarily knowing the true facts about foreign aid. So myself and a couple of ministers from Philadelphia actually met with him personally. We had folks to call and talk to him, and we really targeted him over the past few months to talk about foreign aid. And we really started engaging him on the issue. And you know, he'll ask us questions. We would give him answers, you know, specifically give him information from credible sources that you know they, they view as credible. And I would say it turned his vote around. I would say when it came to the last budget resolution and there was an amendment that was, I think, being offered to cut foreign assistance, he actually voted against it. And so, yeah, I like to take credit even if it doesn't necessarily apply. <laughs> but I will say that because of that, maybe other other efforts, he started to go our way. Um, next week, we're thinking maybe as soon as next week, there may be a vote to extend unemployment insurance. Mm -hmm. Now we're hearing through the rumor mills that Senator Toomey is on the fence. We, I know you guys are probably, if you guys are on our, our mailing list or, or our email list, you probably have gotten a number of emails from me saying. 
contact this senator, contact that senator, specifically to vote in favor of, of unemployment insurance. Senator Toomey may be, one, may be one of those people that would determine whether this moves forward in the Senate. And so that could be another example, hopefully, knock on wood, God willing, he will vote with us on this issue. We're hearing that he's leaning our way, but again, more pressure will make him from a possible to a definite. All right. Thank you, Eric.